Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ike MMA Show. I'm joined in studio by kickboxing champion Yusuf Ali Talib. Yusuf, how are you? Or is it Yusuf or Ali? I can't. Which is the first the correct first name? Uh, Yusuf is the first name. Um, Ali Talib is my surname. Okay, I, I'm yeah, fine. Um, I think you agree with me that this interview there was less in getting it scheduled because. <laughs> Was just just crazy because um my schedule was um clashing with yours. You had you got so much going on. There's the upcoming fight. You got clients that um want you to train them, and yeah, you got your fight coming to your so um to, to take into account as well. So, uh, thank you for taking the time out this afternoon to speak with me. That's right. Thank you for having me. We finally sort of allowed yeah. or got the schedules to work. So um, um yeah, look um. Kickboxing champion, so you are no um small um figure. You you're a big deal, clearly. So can you talk about that because you're not just a champion here in the UK, but also globally you're recognised um as a big name in the sport. Oh, I think um, well, thank you for saying so. I mean, I'm not one to blow my own trumpet as such, but I've been in competing in kickboxing for a while. Um, I've also been doing Muay Thai for a fair bit of time as well. Uh, and that's definitely where I'd say my, uh, my skill set is. Uh, thankfully, over the years, I've managed to acquire a few titles along the way as well um, at various levels. So, um, so, yeah, so I think that's definitely my forte. Uh, I've been partaking in martial arts for the last uh, 18, 19, 19 years or so, uh, competing in kickboxing in particular for the last uh, 13 and now the new chapter is transitioning over to MMA. Uh, now with that I've managed to fight on um, sort of all the top promotions in the UK um, sort of fought around uh, around the world as well and managed to do a bit of travelling which is always fun um, and yeah so so now new chapter, mixed martial arts and uh, we're going to hopefully bring the, uh, yeah. the skill sets which I've acquired over the many mm, years. Yeah, of course I think kickboxing as the title suggests, um, sends mainly around how you can throw your kicks and your punches. So um, I, I think the striking, your footwork, your your kicks, your, your kick work, that won't be too much of a problem because I've seen that when you're throwing a kick, you've got to be able to throw the kick without losing your balance as well. That's one of the things I've seen um, some of the athletes do. And, uh, not, and that makes sense how you can throw the kick and not lose balance because if you throw the kick, you've got to try not to fall over, fall backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think balance is is a common theme for all martial arts. You need to know and understand your balance, so then you know how to manipulate it. Um, and you're right when you're kicking all your central masses on one leg, which means that you need to have an understanding of your balance. Uh, thankfully, with I've been doing kickboxing, that's the main thing I've sort of competed in for a while. I've had I've actually trained Muay Thai for longer than I have kickboxing. Um, it got to a point where um, Kickboxing suited my style better at the time, so that's why I decided to do that. Um, but realistically, the art of late eight limbs is uh, what I started off with, so uh, Muay Thai. Um, so thankfully, although I've got uh, good kicks, good punches, um, where of the uh, and worked well in the clinch, working with the elbows, the knees, and everything else. So I'd definitely say uh, I'm not sort of your typical uh, okay. kickboxer. Can you? Well, I was going to verge um trying to go into some history, but your upcoming fights um at the Morsel Championships mm-hmm. up against Joe Bello, which I think it's for a title fight, mm-hmm. isn't it? Is it? Yeah. 
It's for the um, uh, British side. Can, can you talk about that? As in going into that fight, um, how do you think see things going? And what do you make of your opponent, Joe Joe Bell? I mean, it's first time hearing of him. What do you make of your um, of him? Hmm. So I try not to focus too much on the opponent. Honestly, I've heard good things about him um, in relation to his, his style and the way he fights, etc. But I don't really put too much um, thought behind it because at the end of the day, fights are, fights are never always going to be what you see on in terms of their own fights or previous fights. I'd like to think everyone's developing. So the key thing for me is honestly improve my own my own game, my own skill set, and um, it doesn't matter. If, to me in relation to who the opponent is I just need to make sure I'm constantly improving and that's what I've been working on since my last fight my last fight was on the 10th of December um, so it'll be nine months to the day uh, when I do compete again and the reality is I've had fights scheduled and then they've been pulled out etc but that's neither here nor there in that I got to a point where I was actually do you know what the only person needs to improve is myself and I'm going to continue to do that especially coming from a um from the, the background I, I have done uh, into the new sport of MMA, um, naturally there's always going to be improvements to be had, and that's where my focus has been. In all honesty, um, so yeah, so in relation to my opponent, it's going to be a good fight. I've heard good things about him. Um, it's clearly going to be a good caliber of a fight to be culminating event of the uh, of the event itself uh, and for the title. So, um, so yeah, that's where my focus has been. Consistently sticking to the training plan. And You've the never um, uh, okay. You have. You've heard of Joe Bello. Have you heard of him or seen? Have you met him before? Okay, no, you no, never no, crossed no, paths no, with no, no trash talking animosity at all. Okay. No, no, no. For, for the most part, there hasn't been. Um, never had a conversation. Hopefully, he's a decent guy and we get to have a bit of a catch up and chat after the fight. Uh, I don't necessarily see. Uh, you know, in MMA, there seems to be a lot more of the, the trash talk and everything else, uh, building up the fight. Um, in all honesty, it's, it's when you get to, and at least it's sports entertainment, what's, I guess once you get to like the levels of the UFC and the other promotions of there, there's the, there's a lot of, there's a bit more entertainment involved, I guess. Uh, so I can see there being some additional benefit of doing so once you're there, you know, or building up along the way. But for the most part, it's like me, me and Joe, we're going to fight. Um, no one actually cares whether there's going to be any insults thrown either way in honesty it's going to be a good fight regardless um, and there isn't going to be an added anticipation if anyone is throwing insults this way and that for the most part we're going to fight we're scheduled to fight on the 10th of September it's going to be a good fight let's just get going with it basically that's just my thoughts I know a lot of people like to build up a bit of hype um, but I like to for the most part exactly to yes I mean say what you like to sell the fight or during the the, um, the pre-fight press conference say what you like or do whatever whatever it is to sell the hype but what people to really take away what will actually sell to the mm. school will be what happens in the actual fight itself yep um, I agree it's Neither. the first time of me speaking to you properly um, in depth. Can you um, just give us mm-hmm. as in, a brief backstory on your 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 history and um, really what enticed you, in, as in got your um, attention to combat sports and delving further in into kick um, kickboxing and now uh, mixed martial arts? So I started um, age 11, age 12, um, 11, going into uh, Muay Thai when I first started. I was taken down to the first class along with my siblings with, by my parents um, and was sort of 
take into class. It's going to be good for our discipline and fitness and keeping us active uh, and out of trouble. Um, growing up in Hackney, so that was quite useful. And I just continued to discussions. Uh, when I first started, it was never really, especially at the beginning, it wasn't an ambition to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to pretend to fight or whatever else. Uh, just took to it, sort of like a duck to water, such after a lot of hard work. Um, and then realized actually I enjoy it. I'm, I've always been really competitive. Um, so it was a natural fit to be going into that. Um, now, growing up, it was more of, uh, especially long amongst my friend circles, speaking about mixed martial arts and MMA uh, a lot more um, than sort of standard Muay Thai and Kibosan since like the late 2000s. Um, so I've always had an interest in MMA and um, I've found that, yeah, I've been naturally drawn to it. And I always thought I would compete in mixed martial arts. I've managed to sort of fall into Muay Thai and kickboxing, um, and I continued to, um, yeah, to compete. I don't once I got to a good level, it was sort of a no-brainer as just continue doing it because it ticked off the the bug of wanting to compete um, in combat sports. So I was doing that, um, and each time I stopped to do a bit of grappling training or anything else, it then took a bit too much away from uh, my actual sessions. So I decided to continue with that. Um, and yeah, then I was a bit more of a natural break um, in sort of the progression of my career and I decided to switch over to uh, mixed martial arts. It's uh, quite interesting. Uh, there are other people I've spoken to who, who are like yourself, they're athletes or they're affili- affiliated with combat sports in one, one way or the other. They said that it was through their own doing sort of that they um, uh, actually found an interest for it and their parents usually found out later on and their parents w- weren't always happy about it but in your own case your parents actually they sent you that they as in brought you to the, the the fight scene if i could say that and they got you involved yeah yeah essentially um well the martial arts has always been um sort of part of my parents lives is actually it's a natural fit um keep us entertained I think martial arts in general would be you know, um, consistently with good attributes in people. I think, you know, being consistent, disciplined, hardworking, uh, focused, and all the other sort of cliched attributes. Um, so I think it was a natural fit. And I think more people, particularly these days, are understanding that from the parents' perspective. So more time than not, we're getting a load more um, sort of kids uh, joining into various classes. Um, and I think it's good. For I have the to next say, generation. I mean, I've trained you with you before a few times. I have to say that I do, I do find it very therapeutic on the bags with your kicking or throwing punches because um, if you had not a, not such a good day or week or whatever month, once you've done just an hour or whatever it may be, pads, uh, uh, going in the bag, kicks, whatever, you feel a lot calmer, a lot more, uh, you just vented off all that frustration and rage out on something, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it could be quite therapeutic, you're right. Uh, I think physical activity is a great outlet uh, in general, regardless of what it is, but in particular, uh, martial arts. Um, so I think that's why people are going, I find it to be quite useful now. Um, as adults, we've been taking the kids to it. More time, not, kids may not necessarily have an understanding of their body just yet and you know, their overall physical mental health, but I think it's quite useful. And I think a lot of adults who aren't necessarily competing or fighting find that to be the case. Mm-hmm. And that's why they continue to do it um, because it's a good physical push. You're learning a new skill and um, it's a nice way of venting, um, which means by the end, as I said, usually a lot uh, calmer and just a bit more of a chill, chill out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you clearly have achieved uh, a lot of sig- you know success, significant levels of success in the sport. What would you say you owe that to? Is would you say it's a great team behind you, or just you as an individual? You've been you've always been mentally resilient and tough, and you've just kind of taken and bared any um anything has just come along the way to make sure that you've persevered to make sure you come out successful the other the other side. Well, I think it's going to be a blend of, you know, a blend of a few variables, really. Um, the fact that I've remained consistent throughout is uh, partly down to myself, which is good. Uh, that I was consistently working hard. The other aspect relating to that is having a consistent team around me um, who's been able to support me throughout, you know, my sort of journey in kickboxing and in just in general life, really. So I've been at uh, Bloodline Gym for, I mean, since it's opened in 2005. Um, and you've got Paul Marut, who's the owner of that gym, who's been my head coach since. Um, so there's going to be an element of that naturally, as well as the other members of the team who've been consistently around for a number of times. Who, if at a point I'm not necessarily at the gym, or in the past I haven't been, they're like, why are you at the gym? So they're going to consistently get it until it is embedded within the routine, especially at the, um, the uh, sort of mid teens age. It's quite easy to be distracted and go off with friends and do X, Y, and Z, right? So you need the support of people around you. You need a team to be able to get you back into the gym and keep you there, in, in a sense, so you can continue to learn. Because the only way really to improve is consistently working at something. Um, so there's going to be an element of that. And in terms of the uh, success, it's just having the people who've been there and done it. So uh, in terms of Bloodline Gym itself, all the coaches there are, are fighters, have been fighters, so you've got lots of people who've come before me um, who have learned from their own experiences and have passed on their knowledge, good and bad. So then I can then do the same and then pass it on to the next generation after that. So then we don't need to make the same mistakes over and over. I think it's really important to have, in my opinion, people who've already done what you're trying to achieve in a sense. Um, because in a sense, they have a, there isn't a direct blueprint, but there is some sort of a plan in place as to where you want to get to and you've seen it being done so i think it's to answer your question a few different things one an element of consistent hard work um throughout years uh two having the right team around i know a lot of people jump from gym to gym but i think you can only really improve uh long term anyway inconsistently if you have a solid team around you and i think i found that <clears throat> early on in 2005 really. I know you've kind of um, started speaking about the bloodline gym, but can you elaborate a bit more on the uh, on the um, on the gym itself on the brand? Because um, you say you've been there since two thousand and five. That's n- now. I mean, two thousand twenty five isn't too far away. So it's twenty years. You would have been a figure, a permanent yeah. figure of that particular brand and gym. Um, and I've spoken to it will be no, not just you, but um, is it? Um, Casper, Phil Casper, so the other kickboxer. Uh, both of you, both of you are champions, yeah. very, very successful. I mean, and there's not there is another athlete there who I should have spoken to, but it just hasn't happened. A Polish fighter. His name begins with S. Um, but I mean, the gym has clearly produced some very successful athletes in combat sports, not just mixed martial arts or kickboxing, but various disciplines of the sport. Can you just talk about? Just elaborate further on the gym itself. I mean, um, is it that a lot of the um, the head, head coaches and um, instructors that have been fighters themselves is that what really makes it you know so good? Or are there other aspects and other elements of it as well? 
Well, yeah, as you said, it's been, it's been open since 2005, and that's when I first started coming to the gym. I was actually doing Muay Thai prior to that at the um, at the uh, at the the other gym, which was KO um, in Bethlehem Green. Now, uh, I was there for a short period of time. However, in terms of looking at the history and the roots, uh, Paul Maruk, who's the owner and head coach at Bloodline Gym, also was training there previously. Um, so that's where his roots come from. And again, he was training with um, good people and again, historically was able to do that. So he came over and started from um, started from the beginning, in a sense. Now, it took a while to be able to build up a good reputation um, to consistently build good fighters. Um, but then this, the fact that he was already competing at a good level and then he started from the grassroots, in a sense. And now everyone who's there, you, uh, you mentioned you had Phil Casper there. Um, and you had uh, the other fact you references was Camo. Um, Camo's surname begins with an S. You have Arnold Borotov, um, who again, again, fighting at a really good level. And it then put the gym on the map in a sense. But I think it's the fact that you had Paul investing his time and efforts into all these fighters. Um, and then you can see the whole team growing together. Uh, and now Bloodline Gym is a sort of well renowned gym. Uh, all over the UK as well as the world, but again, you've got people who fought over the years um, in various places. You know, essentially, you get a global and you put a pin in it, and more likely than not, uh, a bloodline representative has fought in that part of the world. Um, so I think it's the fact that you had the coaches putting in the effort, the coaches have already been there, and the teammates pushing each other to continue and consistently hey. grow. No, um, I, I, other people who I've also trained with, uh, you may not know their names. Um, does name Charlie Charles Lee ring a, a bell to you? Ring a name to you? Uh, ring a bell? Sorry. Yeah. Charles Lee. Charles Lee. Um, no. Um, but potentially a face may be familiar. He's been in sort of the, the scene. Uh, well, what gym he, is he trained at the gym box in Hopin, but he does train quite a few people in the nearby um park, the Lincoln Inn Fields near Hopin Station in Central London. Okay, um, I do not, but I'm guessing he's part of Team Two. He's part of Jim Possibly. Would you? Would you? Potentially. And if that's the case, then would, I would you know Lee Murray? Recognize his face. <laughs> the mixed martial arts fighter, Lee Murray. Yes. Lee Murray. You don't. No, no I do not. Um, I'm, um, no, I, I may have, again, I may have come across him uh, in a sense. I'm definitely a lot more familiar with more the. Uh, particularly UK okay. Muay Thai and kickboxers, um, and I'm now going into the world of a man become more familiar. Uh, Lee Murray, I don't think I've seen any of his stuff. No, uh, he is someone who um, uh, you may not know him, but um, what happens was that he is a very, very good but dangerous mixed martial arts um, fighter. Not da not dangerous as in he's a bad person. Okay. No, he's not a bad person, but he is in the cage that he's as in. <laughs> You would not, you would not like to be his opponent. Um, uh, he's a very good fighter. Um, there's something that happened. It was in about 2006 that he was uh, an incident he was involved in, and um, you know he's a currently serving sentence in Morocco. So I think there is a campaign for him to be released from jail, to be pardoned, and for him to be allowed to come back to the UK. Um, so I mean, if you if you Google him on Google, I think his name will come up because he, you know, he, I think. 
his name is quite unique in the in combat sports. Anyway, I don't think there's anyone answering that um, similar name anyway. It's quite a common name, but in terms of mixed martial arts here in the UK anyway, I don't think it's, it's that uncommon. Okay. But uh, no, um, I, that's the reason why I brought it up because I can see that combat sports, particularly mixed martial arts here in the UK, it was well connected. Athletes may know this coach, may know someone else, you know. So I was quite surprised that the family's quite tight in that sense. Um, but uh, moving on, um, fight camp, um, your upcoming fight, just how is, um, how preparations and for you, any other, um, and any other fight, how would you normally prepare for that? Um, I mean, fight, fight comes down well, it's, uh, it's a process is naturally, I can get ready for the fight. Uh, in, in fact, my training hasn't really changed much since my last fight in November. I've been consistently training twice a day um, and on the weekends as well. So it's like, you know, getting the recovery in, but for the most, I'm just consistently improving and looking to improve. Um, as the fight gets a bit closer, the intensity of the session sort of increase a little bit. But for the most part, I've been through a fair few fight camps in the past. Um, so I just quite understand that it's just part of the process um the the good days the bad days the hard sessions the lighter sessions is all sort of part of it really um and regardless what's going on i just try to stay consistent to the plan you know that way i don't need to think about uh, anything else like i know what i'm doing on a monday i know what i'm doing on a wednesday two months down the line for the most part you know it's got a regular routine uh, and i'm consistently improving and looking to improve and working various things. what's been the hardest um, part for you is it making weight because I've seen you. Know, I've trained with you. you. You always seem to be someone who's always in shape. So, I'm guessing that the, the weight, the weight class that you've got to come in within that range. I'm sure. Are you, are you currently meeting it, or do you still have to cut the weight to probably even build up to the weight? I mean, do you, have you have you had to make weight for this fight? I should ask. So this fight is at 73 kilos. It's a catch weight. Um, given that in MMA you have. Uh, 70 kilos and 77 kilos uh, as the two weight classes. There isn't anything in between. In Muay Thai and kickboxing, there's a lot more weight divisions. There's a lot more flexibility um, in that you have your 72.5s, your 75s, your 77s, uh, your 70 kilos. So there's a few more um, weight categories between all of them, which just means I need to find the right uh, right spot. Really. Like, a lot of my my later um, kickboxing fights, for the most part, were always at about 72 and a half kilos. I uh, had a few at 75, a couple at 70 as well. Um, so just floating between them. For the most part, uh, I mean, I appreciate you saying I'm in shape all year round. I, mm-hmm. I train all year round, you know. Um, so, you know, I try not to grow up too much, um, depending on when the fight is. Um, but for the most part, I'm always training, always trying to stay strong, stay fit, stay healthy. Um, and yeah, so this one's going to be at 73 kilos, which just means we're sort of in between the 77 and the 72 okay. mark. No, that's uh, it's good to see, good to hear that everything is on point. Because I, I mean, I've never been in a official um fight myself, so I never had to cut down my weight so drastically. Um, which is why I asked. I mean, I've heard some stories of people who have gone as far as to lose so much weight and fat that I mean, I've heard that they they can actually feel their brains vibrating in the skull because they've lost that much weight. The calorie deficit has been that severe. 
I think weight cutting in itself, or even losing a dramatic amount of weight in general, uh, probably isn't the, the healthiest of things. Um, now, the, uh, the irony of, in, in some ways um, of, or the oxymoron of my life as such is the fact that during my day job, uh, as well as doing PTs and one-to-ones for martial arts, I'm a physiotherapist, uh, hence the name The Fighting Physiotherapist. Um, and there's a few things that happen in the sport, in particular weight cutting, um, which will go against, in general, most recommended healthcare, healthcare advice, um, in general. But it's, it's a practice that's part of sport, which means as a fighter, you accept that and you then go over and you make it as safe as possible. Um, but you're right, there probably have been people who've passed out, there's been people who can, you know, um, really be in a, a significant deficit and not really be feeling very well. Um, but I think of science we're now understanding the safer ways of weight of cutting weight um just to make sure that we can uh yeah as fighters be as healthy as possible um, i think in general if there was ever a point in in um in the combat sports sort of realm where there wasn't any weight cutting at all uh, i think there will i think we'd see a lot of fights be uh have a different outcome more time than not um because Again, weight cutting is a, is a huge variable that is uh, that takes place versus someone's walking around weight. Um, now, some people are better at cutting weight than others, um, down to a number of other factors. Um, so, yeah, so I think if there was no weight cutting at all, I think some fights would, would end differently, regardless of the level of fighting, whether it's totally grassroots or even in the, the likes of UFC, 1FC, etc. Now, I know 1FC have their hydration clause or their hydration, but even then you can see... Now there's a, there's a fair few ways of getting past it in relation to utilizing science. Um, so it's not really a, um, I mean, it's a deterrent, but I think there's ways around it uh, from what I've seen in relation to uh, nutritionists and other people who, uh, who work with the fighters there. They've shown various ways of how to pass their hydration test, which essentially is uh, knowing how much... Uh, yeah, how dehydrated the units is. You know, I have to point out, and I hope you don't mind me saying, for someone who um, is a mixed martial arts fighter, but no, that shouldn't actually mean anything. But my next question was to ask you, um, with all the success you've achieved and what you're doing, all the um, the ventures and the, the, the businesses that you have on your, that you're doing and the titles you have on your belt, what future plans do you have? Um because I was even thinking, would you go at some point, would you like to go into um, commentary for sports, even if it's just for the more local scenes? Because you speak quite well. You speak quite, um, you know, fluidly and complete sentences, you know, quite articulate. Thank you. I appreciate you saying so. Um, fight um, is, is, is something I've considered um, in, in the future, potentially. Um, right now, my main focus realistically is, especially with, with fighting, the goals with fighting is, I think, um, getting to the highest level of sport. Now, if you, in my opinion, if you are fighting in mixed martial arts, you should be aiming for the highest promotions. And, and currently, um, that would be the likes of UFC, uh, PFL is doing really big things at the moment, uh, 1FC, etc. All these sort of big names. And I think... If you aren't necessarily aiming for those things, um, then I would personally be questioning what I'm doing myself in the sport. Um, now, after that, in terms of post-fight career, I definitely 
um, consider doing a bit more of commentary or an analytical work because I do enjoy breaking down fights, uh, although I don't necessarily do it on an official regular basis um, because most people have tendencies or uh, habits and a lot of the time they come out in the fights. So saying who's going to do this, who may do that uh, is quite fun. Uh, I do enjoy it. Um, and yeah, so potentially later down the line, doing a bit of commentary work or um, analytical work could be quite useful, actually, and I would yeah. enjoy doing it. Because uh, well, I'm glad it's something to think about because you have not just the voice, but the face for it as well. You know, you you, you look the part, you sound the part. <laughs> so um, I was thinking that's something you possibly consider for the future. Thank no, you. that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and as also as someone who's been in the sport for, for some time, for a long while, I mean, you've been part of Bloodline for nearly 20 years. Um, what advice um, would you... Mm -hmm would you like to give for any younger fighters who are coming onto the scene? Um, advice for younger fighters. The key thing is be consistent in training. A lot of the time when people start something new, they have this thing of this week I'm going to train five times and then I'm going to train five times and then I'm going to train five times when they're just starting out. It takes a while to be able to build up the body's resilience and more time than that. If you don't do that, you're just going to be injured by week three, week four, which means you're going to end up taking a week off now. And then you're not going to consistently improve. Whatever number you're setting in relation to setting sessions you're having, make it consistent, make it achievable. That way you're going to see the long-term results. You've got um, the likes of Faraz Zahabi, who is quite, um, quite famous for saying, working at a 70% um sort of intensity or sort of work rate you're going to achieve a lot more by the end of the year versus someone who's doing 100 percent sessions twice a week versus someone who's doing 70 percent sessions four times a week. you know you're going to achieve a lot more by the end of that year just because of the amount of output now realistically to improve with anything you just need to be well a number of things but one key factor is that you're putting in the time and the effort to continue to improve so that'll be the first bit of advice um the next bit would be just be to have an open mind, permission to learn. You can, you should be able to learn from everyone, yeah. uh, especially when you are new. Um, but I feel like even as a veteran, you should also have an open mind in relation to learning. You can learn from everyone. And I feel like if you get to a point where you feel like you know everything and you can't learn anymore, I think that's probably time for you to pack it in um, because you are now going to start your own development. You should always be willing to learn and grow as a fighter because yeah. no one knows everything. You know? and, um, so there's, there is that. And the fact is the sport, or the, you know, it's always developing. Yeah, so there's yeah, always yeah. going to be something to learn. You know? um, and even if that means you're working on the fundamentals again and again, and again you know? um, but those are probably two key things I'd, I'd say. Have an open mind and consistently train. Yeah. Find a good team as well, just to add another one in there. Um, find a place where, again, in my opinion, people... Um, have done what you want to be achieving. Um, that way, you know it's achievable because they've already done it and they will hopefully have the experience to tell you what to do, what not to do, um, based off of that. I was going to ask you, um, what do you think of the current state of the mixed martial arts scene, well, of the combat sports scene in the UK? Because there are plenty of talented fighters here. And the one thing that I, do, I don't like is that in comparison to the American scene, finally, the US, you've got the bigger, um, um, 
brands of the promoters, the UFC, PFL, um, um, you've got the even, yeah, Cage Warriors, which, okay, that's basically in the UK, but what I don't, what I'm really um, pinpointing is that there's a lot of talented fighters, a lot of really entertaining shows, but they do not get the same exposure. You know, I don't hear about it all over YouTube or Instagram like you would do if someone's forced in the UFC or in the PFL. And there's some really, really talented and really, really good shows that I put on here in the UK and in neighbouring Ireland as well. Um, I think you're right. There are a lot of talented fighters in the UK. Um, <clears throat> I think the fact that the UFC is originally a sort of American promotion, naturally you're going to hear a lot more about American fighters, uh, given that it's based over there. Um, similar thing with PFL, I believe that's where it originated. Um, and that's a, you know, they're going to have a lot more, a lot more exposure going on there. Now you're also going to have a lot of uh, feeder promotions who will have um, a lot more recognition based off of that as well, because they're quite close to home in a sense. And you've got the likes of, and you're getting a bit more now, but for example, you have LFA, which is um, the American promotion, is quite commonly mentioned and referenced in UFC commentary, as an example. Um, but I think that's, although it's a good promotion, and I think people have come out from there, it's um, more of a regional show, of, you know, and I think the fact that it's close to home and there's been a lot of fights from LFA who've gone over to um, the UFC, I think that's why it gets its recognition. It's doing the right thing in producing great fighters. The UFC recognise it, so they're going to reference it. And I feel like in Europe or even in the UK, cage uh, seems seem to be the, um, especially historically, the feeder promotion towards the UFC. Um, and there aren't any... It doesn't seem to be any others who are directly in conversation have good links in relation to that. Um, and that's probably why you, we don't really hear much else from it. But again, good talented fighters, but I think having the next step planned or having um, the, uh, the ability to go onto these big promotions um, is improving now. But I think historically that hasn't been the case. You have PFL who are doing really good things in that they now have a PFL Europe. Uh, I believe they've had two shows this year. They're having three shows within Europe this year. So I guess they're starting off at the uh, more regional level, seeing really good, talented fighters, um, and then um, trying to progress them through their own system. Now you have the like Dan Hardy, um, who's always keeping an eye on it and plays a, uh, a role as a scout for PFL, uh, particularly PFL Europe. So I guess there's good within the sport and that's probably why in future we'll probably hear more about um these young enough UK who are five and six and all however much or because essentially I think there is the gap missing um whereas in America or some other countries may not necessarily have that but again you have the likes of Octagon who's also trying to do a very similar thing yeah. um I think it, it depends on the goal of the promotion um mm -hmm. and where they want to sit themselves on the global landscape um, I think you've had again from my, my limited understanding and maybe in a newcomer it seems that LFA as an example since I re referenced them before um, or even Tejuras to, to a degree they're growing they're expanding they're building good talent but I don't think they've ever correct, I don't know if I'm wrong ever want to be competing with the likes of UFC or 1FC in a really competitive dinner. I think they see themselves as a really good feeder promotion to 
the next level. Um, so they're not really actively trying to compete with that. And I think if that's the case, you're going to get the likes of the UFC who will continue to back them, which is why they're on UFC Fight Pass, etc., etc., um, and always reference are in the commentary based off of that. So I think it just depends on who the promotion are, what they're trying to achieve in terms of their long-term goal, and whether they're in or trying to be in direct competition with uh, the big, the bigger organisations. Um, which is always going to be tough to compete with, given the amount of capital that they have in them. Yes, yeah, no, and um, you know one of the annoying things that I don't like about, especially with the UFC, is that they always seem to try to capitalize on the hype building up to the fight. Whereas over here in the UK, at least, let's say with the smaller scenes anywhere you go to in the world, but mainly in the western parts of the air or of the world, they do tend to focus on. Yeah, they may be hype, but people will also remember there's also a fight also we're really going to take away what happens inside that ring or the octagon whereas with the UFC they just capitalize on any kind of controversy that's happening before, before that fight now that's that's like the, what, what they're trying to sell to you mm. well I think with the UFC it's um, again as we said earlier it's sort of sports entertainment so I'd like to think if you get to the UFC you, you can fight a good standard and a good level already right so I think at that point, a lot of the fighters are trying to differentiate themselves from the 500 other people on the roster. So they need to create some bit of noise. And so now if everyone can fight, and if you're looking at the word sports entertainment, if everyone can do well at the sport, the next bit is how well you can do at the entertainment aspect. And everyone's going to have their own their own stick or their own um, way of doing things. Um, but I think that's where they're trying to do it. And from the UFC's perspective, they are looking at trying to build uh, or anyone who can generate some sort of revenue or income for them. They're trying to push that because at the end of the day, they're going to be looking at the bottom line. Um, so they're coming from a um, business perspective and the fighters are coming from a sort of sport perspective more time than not. I think the middle ground between the two is the entertainment aspect. So I think UFC will latch onto anything that they can to boost revenue sales, which is why you're going to get all of any sort of controversy they will push. Um, yes. Because at the end of the day, it then gets more eyeballs on it, more people interested, which eventually will mean that more people are tuning in, whether that's to pay a pay-per-view, whether that's to watch the fight pass or anything else, um, which eventually means that they're getting more income by the end of the day. Yeah, and no. again, it's, it's a two-way thing. I think the, the fact that UFC is pushing X-Fighter is beneficial to the fighter and themselves because it helps to build their profile um, and hopefully then uh, projects the career in the right direction. Um, because at the end of the day, I think you need to have, you can, I think you're going to be the best fighter in the world, but if you're not really marketable, um, then the yeah. UFC may not necessarily, or, the, or any other promotion may not necessarily be behind you. I, I do find that to be very, very unfair and really, really annoying uh, because really, mm. first and foremost, and I've heard this so many times from many people I've spoken to and interviewed, just because they didn't look the right, have the right look about them, they were denied the opportunity of, um, is it, uh, is it got, mm, no, it wasn't, it, uh, as in representing a boxing, as in they, were, they won a boxing match or so, but I think it was to be the mm -hmm. face of the, the boxing champion for a country they they're supposed to be representing for the Olympics or Junior Olympics. This is something that someone told me before, but just because they um didn't have the right look they chose the next person who probably didn't have enough win enough wins under their belt probably enough experience or hadn't fought enough or, um 
tough opponents in comparison to them but because they looked the part they chose them over mm. the other person and I think that's extremely unfair you're only guessing by because of how you look not because of your own hard work or your talent it's very unfair yeah. mm. I think I, I, I'd have to agree with you with that I think that's uh, that's one of the um, downfalls or pitfalls of, of society in a sense yeah, you know, yeah. At the moment, it's particularly these days in terms of living, we're not necessarily, you know, uh, there isn't a meritocracy in, in, in play at the moment. It's more time and not, not necessarily about what you've done. Um, sometimes it is going to be in the element of what you look like or what else you bring to the table um, in, in that sense. Now, I do think that you everything should be based off skills, but unfortunately, we don't necessarily live in that world. So from the promoter standpoint, they're trying to tick off as many of the boxes as possible. Um, in that, can this person fly? Can this person draw and um, bring in eyeballs? And can this person be in front of the camera? Because at the end of the day, if they can do a number of those things and other things, from the promoter's perspective, they're like, all right, well, then they're probably going to be making some sort of money for the company or the promotion. Yeah. Um, so you're right, it's not fair. Um, but I think that is, unfortunately, uh, particularly with the sort of social media that we have going yeah. on at the moment, uh-huh. Um, I think that's just part of uh, part of the current society we live in. Yeah, and I say yeah. current society we live in because I'm sure there are potentially other parts of the world that's not necessarily the case. What parts I don't know, but mm. I'd like to think that we aren't the only society in uh, in the world. Really, you know. You have given me very detailed answers throughout this whole conversation. <laughs> that's that's what sets our time for you because I really want to to pick your brains. Um, Last but not least, um, any shout-outs you want to give to uh, to anyone? Well, um, in terms of shout-outs, I mean, continuous and shout-outs to uh, to my team. So you have, again, Paul Maru from Bloodline Gym, uh, as I mentioned, and all the other sort of training partners who are at the gym. Don't only want to start naming everyone because then I'm going to consistently forget some people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everyone at Bloodline Gym as such, uh, Key people who are always going to be there and always have been there would be Phil Casper, as you've referenced, uh, Arnold the Borotov. Um, but again, you've got a load of other people who yeah. are good fighters, upcoming fighters, good teammates, and good friends. I think there's a good camaraderie around the gym. Um, so I think everyone plays a really important part in everyone else's journey. Uh, so we're thankful to, uh, to the Bloodline team. And that also includes all the members of the gym who aren't necessarily fighters as well because they will often come down to support they will often come down uh be in the session and encourage people from a sidelines encourage myself uh going through the tough sessions etc so um i'd definitely say a big shout out to the bloodline team um and also i'd like to shout out my other team which um, i haven't referenced to well, to this point in the interview is um my mma team which is great britain top team gb top team uh run by Brad Pickett and Ashley Grimshaw. Um, so again, two sort of pioneers and vets in the sport um, who have been there, done it. Um, I'd like to sort of uh, follow in their footsteps in that regard. Um, and all the teammates who are there consistently helping me improve um, all aspects of my MMA and allow me to sort of come into the world with. So two key people or two team groups, two key groups and teams I'd like to thank. Bloodline, Jim and GB Top Team. Just before we round up, um, can you just remind people of your next upcoming fight? I mean, unless if you want to wait a little bit, and that's okay. No, no, that's fine. So, um, 
my next fight is going to be on the 10th of September. So that's, um, it's not long, 10th of September, 2023. It's going to be on Immortal Champions. Uh, we'll be fighting um, Joe Bello for the British title. Um, so do come down to that if you're local. Uh, it's going to be in London, um, Portchester Hall. Uh, I haven't fought in London in a bit of a while. So um, definitely come down to that. I'll definitely try and if I get some time off work because that's more than likely going to be, is it a Friday or a Saturday? The 10th. It's actually a Sunday. It's a Sunday, oh. uh, which is, mm. yeah, pretty pretty odd. I fought on a Sunday in the past. Um, yeah, most fights are on a Friday or Saturday. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a Sunday uh, evening. Um, I don't know the time I'll be fighting yet, but I will be pretty late on given that I'm the co-main event uh, of the show. So, um, yeah. So I think the show starts potentially three o'clock. So I'm guessing I'll be on anytime nine, ten ish. You know, but we'll find out closer to the day. Yusuf, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot from you. Almost like uh, when you speak, like an encyclopedia about the sports. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. No, there's plenty for me to more to learn and to know, but I appreciate you saying so. Thanks for having me on the show as well. Thank you, guys. If you did enjoy the podcast, if you listened and watched as far as you have, please don't forget to leave a like. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also catch the podcast on other audio platforms, the major ones, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Yusuf, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.